Now, last time we stopped at an analysis of who am I, who are you, this is very important. Um, you have to know who am I. I or you are nothing but senses reacting to environment. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, that's our front end, sense organs. The body includes everything, the heart, the liver, the skin, the skeleton. And then other than just eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body is material and mind is spiritual, is non-material. And if we use the five scantis to summarize it, that's material, which is eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body. And starting from number two to number five, perception, conceptualization, volitions, and consciousness, that pertains to spiritual, non-material. We are nothing but material and non-material. So when you analyze yourself, we, everybody, you, so we're nothing but the five scanters. And of course the five scanters is formed, it's created, arises, not because God created us, no. It's because conditional causality. Causality makes this come true. Uh, not a creator, it's all causality. What's the meaning of causality? Or we go on, we go on to analyze it by saying that God is not the creator. It's not insulting God. Don't get it mistaken. The God is in you. We're not insulting ourselves, are we? The God is in you, not an external God. So, perception, conception, volitions, and consciousness. With our body, we react to environments. And when we react to environments, we also react to other five scanters. We also react to materials. We also react to the body and minds of others. We also react to all kinds of things surrounding us. So we are nothing but body and mind reacting to environments. And in the process of this reaction, our karma brings us to, to look for happiness. And sometimes we mistake sensual pleasure for happiness. We think that looking for sensual pleasure is looking for happiness, but we must distinguish between sensual pleasure and happiness. Sensual pleasure is just a stimulation to the body and subsequently a stimulation to the mind. It is impermanent, it is a reaction. And in our life, we always think about maximizing sensual pleasures. We thought that's maximizing happiness, but that kind of sensual pleasure is just a stimulation. Happiness comes from not sensory organ stimulation. It only comes when the mind does not have any desire, when the mind is not disturbed. When the mind is disturbed, you don't have happiness. Happiness only comes when the mind is at peace. That's happiness, not sensual pleasures not stimulation of the senses, of the ears, of the nose, of the tongue, of the body. We already explained that. Now then, we say, when we react to environments, what happened? Now, we put aside material because we know biologically. Biologically, we know our body, our kidneys, our lungs, our skins, skeletons, and all that, we know. But how about our non-material part, the perception, conception, 
um, and consciousness. And then we say, when we react to environments, it's not just a reaction. What is this reaction about? This reaction has a lot of concurrent mental functions associated with the reaction. For example, when your eyes see things, materials, when your ear listen to sound, when your nose react to smell, when your tongue react to taste, when your body react to touch, not just a simple reaction, concurrent mental functions arise. And some are good, some are bad, and some are neutral. There are good mental functions, let's mention the good ones first, absence of greediness, absence of hatred, belief, absence of ignorance, energy, shame, regretfulness, repose of mind, equanimity, non-injury, right understanding, some of this. I just bring up some examples to you. How about a bad, bad reaction to environments? Greediness, hatred, ignorance, arrogance, doubt, false view, anger, enmity, concealment, affliction, envy, parsimony, negligence, forgetfulness, pride, fraudulence, shamelessness, remorselessness, restlessness, low-spiritedness, unbelief, sloth, injury, distraction, non-discernment, deception. You can go on. At the same time, there are concurrent mental functions arising in our mind almost like instantaneously during our reaction. And that's what we call emotional reaction. Our problem comes with emotional reacting to the environments. Not just the bad ones, we also have good ones sometimes. We're not just being pessimistic, negative, we also are positive because sometimes we react with compassion, we react with helpfulness, considerations. Which one you usually choose? Do you worry? Do you get disappointed? Do you have anxiety? Do you have depression? Do you have greediness? Are you always in constant satisfaction of your sensual pleasures? Are you get addicted? Are you intoxicated? Are you always compassionate? Are you always helpful? You should know yourself. I should know myself. And then, because of this reaction to environments, when we die, we roll into the next form. Dying in this life is not just the end of it, it's the beginning of another. It's interesting to, sometimes to analyze. When we go on to a trip, it's an excursion, what do we do? We make sure that we have hotels, we have good hotels. We make sure that we get into the internet and say which one is a good hotel. We want a hotel to be, you know, charge a good rate. We want a hotel to have good breakfast, good dinner, have all kinds of facilities, make sure the hotel, if you can afford it, you want to make sure the hotel is a five-star hotel, six-star hotel. If you can't afford it, you always book and make sure you got the right reservation. You want to look for a hotel that suits you the best when you're looking for sensual pleasure. And you always look for the best that satisfy your sensual pleasures. And that's when you are alive. But very few people would think, if I die, if I roll into the next body, I'm going to look for a good body to roll into. I'm going to look for a good hotel. I'm going to look for a good place where I have no more suffering. 
I have an abusive childhood in this life. I don't want that to happen. I got a divorce. I encountered a lot of mishaps and things I don't like in this life. And if I roll into the next life, of course, we don't want to roll into the next life. That's the definition of getting into nirvana, getting into not getting into reincarnation. You don't want to, to go into the samsara again. But assuming that, because you haven't practiced, because you committed a lot of not good karma, you roll into the next life, then you still want a good hotel for your body. But nobody would think of a hotel after death. Who cares? Death is so remote, so far away. You think death is so far away? So remote? Death is actually what? Between a breath. If I get hungry for seven days, I die. If I don't have water for three days, I die. It's not just food. Death is between a breath. You just hold your nose. Somebody squeeze your nose. You don't have the next breath, you die. No more oxygen. So it could be instantaneous. If we want to, want to know more about this, we have to follow the Buddha's teaching to find out what he was talking about. Not saying we believe in it right away. We don't believe in anything right away. We have to analyze it, find out the truth about it before we believe in it. Otherwise, we term that superstition. So when we roll into the next life, what kind of hotels we get into? If we don't know anything about karma, we just do whatever we want. We just, we're always in, in, in search of sensual pleasures. And when I die, who cares? That kind of people, you know what they will roll into? They could go to hell, or they could go to animal rams, or they could go to spirits ram, the ghost ram, or they could be human beings again. They could be azurus, and they could be heavenly beings, or angels, we call them angels. But that is still in samsara. That is still in rebirth, life and rebirth. It's not out from samsara. But there are people who are out from samsara. Pratyaka Buddha, they're out from life and death. They're Sravakas, Arahat, Anagaman, Sakritagaman, Shrodhapana. They are the Bodhisattvas, there's the Buddha. All these are in the most excellence of hotels. We don't call that hotels anymore. Hotels is just like a material. When we get enlightened, it's not hotels anymore. We just put a term hotel to it. It's not hotel anymore. You're in a place where you are free. You are emancipated. You're liberated from suffering, liberated from pain, liberated from depression, worries, greediness, ignorance, anxieties. And when these people get liberated, they come back sometimes. They come back here. That's like Buddha who came back and he told us, this is the way to get out. This is the way to get out from Samsara. Did anybody believe in it? Yes, billions of people. Since the demise of the Buddha, the nirvana of the historical Buddha, there have been billions and billions and uncountable people who follow that path and become saints. You are one of the followers if you believe in the Buddha's teaching. Believing in the Buddha's teaching does not mean you believe in God. Buddha is not in the definition of God a God. Because by God, we always think of a creator who created you. We are created, we arise out of causality, not out of a creator. 
Think about that. We could be Pratyaka Buddha, or we could be the Sravakas, the four sages. Sotapanna are those people, are those saints, sages, who practice selfless, and they achieve emancipation of some of the ego, and they died. But they have to come back seven times. They enter the stream of the sages because they haven't really completed their studies and practice. The next level up is they have to return once again to this world as reincarnation to this world, sacred the garment, once returner. They have to come back again for one more life and they became the Buddha or Arahats. And the garment, non-returner, they don't return to this world of desires. They are in the world without desires in the Rupadhatu. And then from there they go on to be the Buddha or Arahats. And then, of course, there's the Arahats. No more learning. In other words, he's already out from samsara. Pratyaka Buddha also out from samsara. I don't want to go into details because I have covered this slide for many, many times. And I just want to point out to you uh, why we have all this, who you are and where do we come from and what, do we, what happened to us after we die what happened to us before. We have many, many lives before, and if you don't get nirvana, if you don't get liberated from the samsara, you roll with your karma into the next life. Who gives you the karma? Nobody. You created your own karma because you created your own deeds. What is karma? Let's take a look at it again. It's worth looking at. What is karma? What's responsible for this life and death? Not God. Don't blame God. No, the God is in you. You created. You walk your own path. You are the master of yourself, nobody else. Can you be a good master of yourself? Or you're a bad master, always involved in bad concurrent mental functions of greediness, hatred, anxiety. You create your own destiny, not God. So we say rebirth in samsara of sentient beings according to the good actions or evil actions in their previous lifetime. And they roll into the six paths of reincarnations. Hell, animals, humans, hungry, ghosts, azuras, and devas. If you don't understand these six paths of reincarnations, you always can get into the internet. There's a lot of information about it. The six paths of reincarnations. And how people reincarnate in the six paths is very complicated. There's a lot of intricacies in it. Humans, for example, in the next life, they became human again. And what kind of humans? Some people are rich, some people are poor, some people are handsome, some people are ugly, some people are tall and short. Not everybody is equal. Is it because of the unfairness of God? No. It's because of your own karma. What you realize now, the effect you realize now, is what you have done in the past of this life or in the past of the previous lives. Say I give you an example, if you're always a philanthropist, if you're always giving, 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 donating, giving, giving, you may wind up this life to be a very rich man because you always give. There's a saying, the more you give, the more you get in return. If you're always stingy in your previous life or you always rip people off, or you're always a gambler who is cheating, or you are a con artist, you, you always cheat people, then in this life, 
you may be extremely poor. And in your previous life, if you're, if you're always a hunter killing animals, if you're cruel, if you treat animals with atrocities, with cruelties, in this life, you may experience short life. You may experience unhealthiness. So everything has a cause, have many, many causes, multiple causes leading to effects. We call that causality, conditional causality. Mind your causes. What are the kind of causes that you are cultivating now? You see, there's a saying in the sutra, Bodhisattvas, or the practitioners of the Buddhist teaching, is very careful with causes. But the average sentient beings, they're not careful with causes. They just do what they want. As long as they have sensual pleasures, they kill, they steal, they lie, they commit sexual misconduct, they get intoxications, they do all kinds of things just to satisfy their impermanent sensual desires. It's only the wise who follow the path to curb those and walk the path of the sages. You have that choice. But usually what people choose, you know. What is responsible for rebirth? Is it God who wants you to reincarnate in a certain way? No. You, yourself, don't blame your dad, your mom and dad. Mom and dad, why did I look ugly? Why did you bring me to this world? You are responsible for my coming to this world. I don't look good. You are responsible for it, mom, because you gave birth to me. No. That's your own karma. Don't blame mom. Don't blame dad. Of course, there are mom and dad who are irresponsible. There's another intricate relationship of causality. It's very complicated. Among family members, every causal relationship is different. The mom loves John, but the mom hates Jeanette. Same family members. Why? Same family, children. How come the mom and the dad treat different family members differently? And how come some brothers and sisters, they love each other, some hate each other? All have liabilities to pay and assets to receive. They come back for liabilities, debts. What is responsible for rebirth? Karma. What is karma? Your action, your speeches, your thoughts of the past and present lives that have become latent energies for reincarnation. Karma does not necessarily mean past actions. It embraces both past and present deeds. Don't think, oh, what I have done in the past is unfair. I didn't know what I did in the past. I only know the present. It's unfair to me because I didn't know what I did in the past. Who did it in the past? It's the same you. How come you say it's unfair? You did it in your previous life. Nobody else. Sometimes, to some people, the effects of the, of the past, the influence of the past, could be brought forward to the present um, very obviously. For example, talented people, geniuses. A five-year-old pianist, musicians, painters, they didn't learn. They just remember from previous lives. 
These are interesting stories. Get into the internet. There are a lot of interesting reincarnation cases. And uh, reincarnation has been studied since 200 years ago in the West. It's been studied for thousands of years in the East, in the Middle East, even in Rome, in Europe. Aristotle believed in reincarnations. Socrates believed in reincarnations. And um, get into, when you get on the internet, get into the reincarnation study experts, Ian Stephenson. Um, he, he, he conducted thousands of cases in clinical studies of reincarnation not just on guesswork, on clinical studies, but you can get into the details there. I talk about it many times, watch your thought, because karma includes not just your actions, not just your speech. Every thought has energy. Mind your thought. If your thought is so strong in a certain way, you build up the energy, you carry out into action and speech. If you have a strong thought that you want to be successful in doing something and you always think about it you think and think and think you're like a lens converging the sunlight into one focus and you have it done so everything starts from a thought mind your thought don't build up evil thoughts malevolent thoughts benevolent thought is good thoughts that are compassionate helpful confidence thoughts that make you become a good father a responsible father Responsible mom, responsible son, daughter. Cultivate only good thoughts. And one of these good thoughts is important to know. So we have action, speech, and thought about energy. So we have good karma and bad karma. I've just brought out some examples to you. Good karma, compassion, motivation, enthusiasm, diligence, and perseverance, and altruism. Bad karma, depression, selfishness, epicurean. Most people are epicurean. They're always looking for sensual pleasures. They always want to, to satisfy their senses. They want to see the previous things. Now, if we go back to form is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than form. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. And the sutra says the same is true with perception, conception, volitions, and consciousness. They don't want to repeat the same thing. These are the five skanters. And now the sutra is a short sutra. The sutra only mentions form as an example. And it does not want to go to the details of perception, conceptualizations, volitions, and consciousness. So it says the same is true with perception. That means perception is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than perception. Perception is emptiness. Emptiness is perception. Another way of saying it is perception is not other than Causality. Causality is not other than perception. Perception is causality, and causality is perception. Next, conceptualization is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than conceptualization. Conceptualization is emptiness. Emptiness is conceptualization. The sutra does not want to repeat every one of the five scantures. So that's why it's abbreviated. So if you don't understand, you say, how come the same is true with all the others? You just follow material. We have analyzed material is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than material. That's the reason why I spend a lot of time in the beginning explaining the five skantas. Because if you don't understand the five skantas, you don't understand the sutra.
So I spent 30 hours just to explain the first paragraph. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Then I don't have to explain perception, conceptualization, because they're all the same. Everything is causality. So that's the way you analyze the sutra. The sutra says, O oh, Saraputra, everything is dependent on causality. I don't want to flip back to the sutra, but that's what the sutra says. And then it's time now to explain, to repeat a little bit on causality. Because then the sutra go on to say, to reiterate again, to make you understand. What is emptiness? You have to remind yourself what is emptiness. You have to remind yourself what is causality. What is the meaning of causality? Everything, material elements and mental elements, are characterized by causation. It does not mean that things do not exist, but rather their existence is dependent on multiple causes and conditions. Nothing has its own inherent self-nature. Don't think of this body as you. You only temporarily appear in this body. This is only, as I said, a hotel, but you want to beautify it. Every day, of course, you take a bath to make sure that your, your body is healthy, to make sure the body is clean, to make sure you look the best about your body, about your appearance. And what is more that I want to add on to it, most people only pay attention to their appearance, but not the mind. Who cares about the mind? I look good, we'll be okay. So people take a bath every day, bodily but nobody would take a bath every day mentally do you have a healthy mind a clean mind how do you clean up your mind every day you clean your body every day how come you don't care about cleaning your mind every day how much time you spend in cleaning your body some people can spend an hour in a bathroom can you spend about half an hour to clean up your mind every day by meditating you know what? You only come here on Saturday. You meditate only for an hour. Better than not cleaning your mind. And when you come for an hour, it's not cleaning your mind either. It's stopping your mind from being impurified. Because when you say, I want to concentrate in my in-breath and out-breath. You're stopping worries. You're stopping depression. You're stopping hatred. You're stopping greediness. You just want to put your mind on one object of attention. You're stopping your mind from being polluted. But you're not cleaning it. You don't need to clean it. You just stop the pollutants. And it's automatically clean. We say, okay, people argue. Argue about it. I have a body and mind and everything is causality. Don't, don't, I, have, I don't have me. I don't have an identity. Oh, poor, poor me. I don't have an identity. Who am I? I'm nothing. No, you exist. But your existence is based on multiple causes and conditions. Do you believe that your existence is only an existence of conditions and you do not have a self-inherent, substantial existence? You think we exist? We don't exist. Only the causality exists. But you get worried. Then where am I? Only conditions and causes exist. I don't have exist. So am I abstract? Am I have nothing? You have the consciousness. And consciousness 
It's not an appearance. You cannot touch consciousness. And that consciousness is a polluted consciousness. Wait until that polluted consciousness is all clean, then you're out of consciousness. And when you're out of that consciousness, you enter into the next stage, which is transcendental consciousness, which is beyond consciousness. Because when you think of consciousness, it's still polluted. So all things are non-self, because nothing has its own inherent self-nature. What is the meaning of having an inherent self-nature? When something has an inherent self-nature, they don't depend on conditions for existence. They can exist by themselves. They can arise by themselves. They stay forever because they have their own ability to be created. They can create themselves. They can exist themselves. They don't rely on anything to exist. But I can tell you, I couldn't find anything like that in this world. Have you found anything that is permanent in this world? Have you found anything that is not changing in this world? Have you found anything that is not dependent on causes to exist? I haven't found it. If you found it, you tell me. You can, you can, ask, you can tell me in, at lunchtime. I found something that is permanent. I found something that is not dependent on causes and conditions. You tell me. Okay, all things are non-self. They do not have true identity. All things are changeable and therefore impermanent. Because of impermanence, the individuals, what? Experience suffering. Don't get fearful of impermanence. Don't get fearful of worrying about changeability. Don't get fearful of not having a self. Because of changeability, we become better. If there's no change, we can never be better. We can change for the better. We can change from being a sentient being into the Buddha. Causality. Causation covers three times the past, present, and future. Cause and effect is the law of causation. If there's a cause, there must be an effect and vice versa. All dharmas or everything arise, abide, change, and cease according to the law of cause and effect. Each cause and condition has three moral qualities. Goodness, evil, and neutral. All phenomena arise because of the mutual relationship of countless causes. In the Sanskrit language, we call that hetu. And conditions, patiyaya, conditions, in the Sanskrit language. Causes are direct. Conditions are indirect. If the related causes and conditions do not exist, no result would come into being. So when causes and conditions exist, an effect or result will come into being. The causes, effects, and in between, there must be conditions that would bring the cause to an effect. So causality is what we have to remember. Emptiness is like a subset of the law of causality. They mean the same thing, causality. Going back to the original sutra again, before we end for the day, we say, O oh, Saraputra, all dharmas are characterized by dependence upon causation. So I have explained up to here, all dharmas are characterized by dependent upon causation. That is the law of causality. 
and nothing is permanent. That means even the law of causation is not permanent. Even the Buddha is not permanent. We will have to find out why. Because when I say everything is impermanent, what I talk about should be impermanent, right? Every notion should be impermanent. I shouldn't be contradicting myself in saying, everything is impermanent, but what I talk about is permanent. Everything is wrong, but what I talk about is right. No, that shouldn't be the case. So there's no Buddha. When you transcend permanence or impermanence, the word Buddha is just for the sake of calling it a name, for the sake of conceptualizing it. If we don't call it anything, how do we understand anything? Because we understand by conceptualization. Throw your concept away. Throw the Buddha away. When you're up that level, throw the Buddha away. We don't need it. We only need it now. Those are play words. Those are games. But without these play words, without games, how do we know? We call this the body. We shouldn't hate this body. This body is impermanent. This body needs to be clean. Are you telling me, Reverend Guan, that this body is useless and stinks and, and oh, we don't like the body? Don't negate the body. It's the body that makes you become the Buddha. But don't attach to the body. When you want to go to Victoria, don't attach to the boat. When you want to get ashore, leave the boat. But you need the boat.